But welcome everybody to part one of a brand new series we're calling Hope. Go ahead and grab your Bible and your notepads out. If you get sick of me saying it, it's because you aren't grabbing your Bible and your notepads out, all right? Because if you're new to Victory, we love to take notes. We believe in taking notes. I believe in taking notes. Come on, somebody, because... Right, a short pencil is better than a long memory because we jot down some things, right, when God speaks to us. And I encourage you to take notes in your own quiet time, in the worship time. When God begins to speak to you or a verse jumps out at you or something someone says or whatever it is, begin to jot those things down. And then you can reference them in your spiritual journey. It's an awesome way to grow. It's an awesome way to realize where you've been and what God has done and how God has spoken. So just encourage you uh, to do that. If you'd like a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes, if you're like me, and you like fill in the blank versions of things, we have that in the church app. You can download that on any mobile device. Click on this weekend's message. It's an awesome way. All the references, everything we talk about uh, will be there for you. Today is a little bit different, and I'll tell you uh, more about that uh, as we go along. It's changed a lot um, in the last few months, but this series has been on my heart for a few months. You can ask our staff, uh, since the beginning of the year, I kept telling them every time we'd start a new series or a new month, I'd say, hey, I'm going to do a series on hope. And they would get all the graphics together and all the stuff and all the things that we prepare for. And then like Friday night, I would text them, sorry, guys, I'm going a different direction. Just shelve that for right now. Real good job. I appreciate your ministry, but just put that on the shelf. We're going to come back to it. But throughout my 21 days of prayer, when I've been praying and throughout my own quiet time, I keep coming back to this concept or this idea of hope. I just keep coming back to this idea of hope because you may not be aware of this if you've been living under a rock. But 2020 has been a difficult year. I don't know if you know that or not. Maybe, I don't know who you are, but I'd like to meet you if you don't think so. But 2020 has been a difficult year, and not just for our culture or for our country or for the world. It has been, but also for our church. Uh, It's been a difficult time. And, And the nature of a church our size is that different groups and different people and different families, they walk through different trials and different turmoils at different times and different seasons. And I know that I speak for the entire pastoral staff and our small group leaders that it is the honor of our life. Uh, It is our calling to minister to you during those times. It's our it is our calling, our honor to minister. But as a pastor and as a friend uh, over the last eight months to see the, the thread of this as it passed through our church and through the school and just these different times through different families and to see just trials and things and hurts and things that happen as a friend, not even as a pastor, it hurts. It's just, it's a time that that just, it it breaks your heart to see these things starting in January and February and all the way through just these things that have happened. And I've had so many conversations with so many of you in this year. I've had so many times of talking with a lot of you during 2020 about different things. And let me say this, and that is the beautiful thing that I've seen is that without fail, without fail, those at the center of the trial, Those at the center of the turmoil, those in the middle of it, those who are actually walking through it without fail, they have shown the greatest faith in God. And it has been the greatest encouragement to me, to me personally in my own spiritual life, to see them walk through it and to hear the words that they've said and to watch their faith in the midst of it, ministering to people around them. It's been incredible. But I've also had conversations with some of you who are maybe on the periphery looking in or Or some of you who have walked through things in the past and now you're seeing other things come up this year. And I've had conversations with some of you and you've asked questions that have echoed what I've asked in my own heart. And you've asked hard questions that echo what I've asked in my own prayer times, in my own 21 days and things that have been on my own prayer list. 
You've asked real questions and things that I've had to ask and that I don't have the answer for in that moment. And I want you to know, though, that there is a threat and there is a real danger in times like that. There's a real danger in seasons like that. There's a threat for hopelessness to begin to rise. And we've seen this play out in our culture during this year, in our country during this year. There's this sense of hopelessness that's begun to come out in almost everything that we say and things that happen. And there's a real threat that it would begin to grow. And so I think it's time that we talk a little bit about hope. I think it's time that we as a church have a conversation about hope. And maybe not in a way that you've ever heard it talked about before. And I don't say that in a sensationalist, try to put people in the seats type of way. What I mean is this. And that is that each week of this series, we're going to build on the week before it. Things don't tie up neatly with a bow here in week one. But stick with me, all right? Things don't don't resolve neatly here in week one. And here's our theme verse, though, from Hebrews chapter six. And I'll explain it a little bit as we go. But I want to read this here at the outset. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And he's speaking to believers. We have this hope. As an anchor to the soul. That's the series title. The hope, the anchor to our soul. And so when I was planning for this series, I jumped online and I thought I would buy a boat anchor. Because I thought that would be a great illustration to share with you how the hope is the anchor of the soul. And so I was clicking around and I found the perfect one, right? I found a 43-pound boat anchor that was going to be the most, it, it looked perfect. Just like you would see in the movies for a boat. And I thought that would be the anchor that holds us firm and secure. Come on, somebody. And then I weighed 43 pounds and I realized there's no way I'm hauling that across the stage as long as I need to, right? And so I jumped online and clicked over and I bought this little mini anchor from Bass Pro. Come on, somebody. So this is the anchor that's going to hold us firm and secure today. All right, everybody. Hopefully this is the anchor that's going to hold us firm and secure because that 43 pound monster will break your toe every time. Come on. I I was actually a little afraid I'd drop it and break my toe, but this is the baby anchor that's going to hold us firm and secure. But this verse says that hope is the anchor of our souls. Now here's the reality. Here's the reality of life, and that is that life and the storms of life become dark very quickly. That they come against us very quickly. And I'm not talking about little storms. I'm talking about storms that come against us to try to knock us completely off track. To try to take us out of the storms of life. And they come against us, and it gets dark very quickly. And the Bible talks about that we have a biblical hope that becomes the anchor to our souls. That when the waves get bigger than we can handle and when the storms come against the boat that we're in, that hope is the anchor to our souls. And that if your soul is adrift, it means you don't have an anchor. That when you give into the hopelessness, you don't have an anchor to your soul. Now, we've spent the last three weeks talking about our soul. How it's our thoughts, it's our desires, it's our emotions and how so often it's what comes under attack. It's what gets cast adrift. Our soul is what gets attacked in the storm. Our soul is what drifts. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how hope is the anchor. How hope is the anchor. Because when we come under attack, the first thing that gets adrift is our soul. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit during this series as we build on each week. About how in the storms of life, when they buffet, when they come against the boat. How hope is the anchor that holds us safe and secure. 
Now, I want to talk to you out of the book of Habakkuk. We're going to be there for the rest of this series. It's a short book, only three chapters. It's a book in your Old Testament. Uh, you can go and just kind of kind of thumb through and you might miss it. So look in your concordance if you need to find where Habakkuk is. But I have to say it all day long today. So you go ahead and say it. Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk with me. Sounds like you coughed up a furball, all right, everybody? It's just not an easy name to say. I'm probably going to say it three different ways today. But Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. And he's a minor prophet, all right? I've told you before, that doesn't mean he played in the minor leagues. It's not that he's less than, right? He never could play major league ball. That's a joke. Stick with me, everybody. It doesn't, it doesn't get better, all right? But he lived and wrote about 600 years before the birth of Christ. And Habakkuk is a very different prophet. What do prophets do? Prophets hear from God and they speak to the people. Well, Habakkuk isn't an ordinary prophet. Habakkuk doesn't only hear from God and speak to the people, but then he goes from the people and he speaks to God on behalf of the people. Because he doesn't like what God is doing. And so Habakkuk, he goes to the people and he hears, and then he goes to God and he speaks to God because he doesn't like what's happening. Because Judah has been blessed. To this point, Judah has been a blessed nation, but now there's deception and there's corruption. And they're living in poverty and there's oppression. And things aren't working out the way that they're thinking. And they're hurting. The people of Judah are hurting. And so Habakkuk just unleashes on God. And 2,600 years ago, he asked the same questions that a lot of us are asking today. 2,600 years ago, he asked the same questions that we're asking today. And Habakkuk basically asked, why doesn't God seem fair? I know you could do something about this, God, but you're not, and I don't understand. And so we're going to be in chapter 1. Three chapters in the book. Today we're in chapter 1. And the first verse, I'm not going to read it to you, but it essentially says he receives a prophecy. He receives a word, and the word there in the Hebrew is hamasa. It means an utterance or a doom. Habakkuk receives this word, this, this prophetic doom. It's not just a prophecy. It's this dooming prophetic word. It's a weight. And he receives this, and he goes to God on behalf of the people. And he asked this question in verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, destruction, and violence before me? There is strife and conflict abound. Why do you tolerate this? Why do you make me look at this? Why do you, why do I cry out to you and you don't listen? You know what I'm talking about. Why do I pray for that person and they don't get well? Why is my prodigal child Not coming home. Why is this sickness coming to my life? Why this tragedy? What I love about Habakkuk is he's raw and he's real. He doesn't pull punches. He asks the questions that he actually wants to ask. And he goes to God on behalf of the people. And he's real about the questions that he has. And his name tells his story. His name tells our story. Because the name Habakkuk in the Hebrew, the name means, it means to wrestle And to embrace, to embrace and to wrestle, to wrestle and embrace. His his whole life is that he knows who God is. And so he's embracing who he knows that God is, but he's wrestling because what he sees doesn't line up with what he believes. What he's seeing in his life around him, he's wrestling. And so he's embracing and he's wrestling. And let me just state a warning here at the beginning. If it's not, you know, if we're not deep enough already, let me just give you a warning. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. Right. Tell your neighbor. uh Oh, right. This is not a sitcom sermon. All right. Today is not a sitcom sermon. How many grew up watching sitcoms? Anybody you grew up watching? I don't know what age you grew up in, but maybe it was it was Brady Bunch or Happy Days or maybe your yours is, I don't know, The Office or Friends or whatever it is. So what is a sitcom sermon? A sitcom sermon 
is honestly, a lot of my sermons are sitcom sermons. They're not bad theology. I'm not dogging them today. All right, they're, they're actually a very effective ways to communicate a lot of them. But today is not one of those. What happens in a sitcom at the beginning of the show, everybody's happy, right? And then there's this tension or there's this challenge or something happens. And right. And then they have to kind of band together. or They have to do something. And at the end of 30 minutes, including commercial breaks, at the end of 30 minutes, everything ties up neatly and it all ends. And everybody's happy again until the next show. That's a sitcom show, right? The show's over. Most of my messages are sitcom sermons. There's us. There's a tension, there's something that's happened, there's, there's some kind of thing, and then there's God's word that speaks to it. And then I show you the three-step thing, and then that's, that's what God's word is saying to that right there, and then we're done. You can go have a great meal, right? We had church, right? It's just disco, and, and we've had church together. That's a sitcom. Today is not a sitcom sermon. See, in a sitcom sermon, what happens is something like this. You, you have a job, and you love your job, but then you lose your job. And so you pray and God gives you a different job and it's even better and it has benefits. Come on, somebody. And it's just and you meet your new spouse at that job and they are good looking. Come on, somebody. But they are secretly a millionaire and you get married and you retire at 30 and everything is great. That's a blessing. Praise God for that. It's a blessing. That's a sitcom sermon. But life is not a sitcom. In life, things don't get resolved in 30 minutes or less, including commercial breaks. In life, things don't get resolved sometimes in 30 days or 30 years. Sometimes things don't get resolved in our eyes ever. In life, some things aren't resolved like that. Sometimes you lose your job and you don't get a better job. Sometimes you don't get any job at all and you go for a long time without a job. And you may be very well educated, but you get a job that's below your education. And so you begin to feel like a big failure. See, in real life, sometimes you love your marriage and you feel you have a strong marriage and you love your spouse, but your spouse betrays you. And instead of owning what they did, they blame you for what you didn't do. And then they leave you and you're all alone. In real life, you love your life. And then the doctor says that you have cancer and you you don't realize it. So you go to war against cancer and you begin to pray and you do the chemo and you fight against this. And and you beat cancer and it's gone and you go into remission. And then years later, the cancer comes back and you don't understand. And you cry out why you're trying to embrace God, but you're wrestling. To embrace, but you're wrestling in the middle of it. And then, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your turmoil, some well-meaning, God bless them, Christians come to you and they say, brother, sister, cheer up. Don't cry. Soldiers don't cry. You're a soldier. You just have to let go and let God. And while they mean well, hear me, they mean well. And while their theology may not be bad, the more they say you need to let go and let God, the more you want to do what the Bible says and lay hands upon them. Come on, somebody in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about. The more you want to because they come in the middle of yours because you don't feel like God is good. Because you're looking at life around you and it's not good. And in that moment, in the middle of your trial, your faith feels wrecked and you're raw. And it doesn't feel good in the moment And you know he could do something, but he doesn't. And you don't understand why. And you don't know why. Habakkuk feels like this. He asks the question in verse 3. Watch this. He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. In other words, God, I don't really think you're doing what's right. And he's just crying out. You see him in the midst of this. We forget that these are real people. 
And he's saying, God, I don't feel like it's right. He's not going to the people on behalf of God. He's going to God on behalf of the people. And he's got the very same problems and the very same questions that we have today. What were his problems? Number one, he seems to say, you don't really care, God. It just feels like you don't really care. You allow this suffering, all these things. He said to God, you aren't doing much when you do do something. He says to God, you're not, you have the power and you're not, and I don't understand. And then he says, and what you are doing doesn't seem fair. What you are doing doesn't seem fair. How many be honest with me today? How many of you would say, if you ever felt like in your life, if you were God, you might do things a little bit differently? Anybody today, you've ever said that? Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand in church. God will strike me down. I'm not. You just go on and polish your halo, all right? I'm talking to the real people today. How many of you ever thought that, yeah, I would change some things. I might do something a little bit different. How many have ever thought in the midst of your trial, God, are you paying attention? God, do you still see me? Nehemiah cries out in his book, remember me, oh God. Remember me. You know, it's not unbiblical to have questions. A third of the Psalms are cries out to God in the midst of pain. There's entire books of the Bible. We've studied a couple of the last three weeks. Jeremiah, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, and Job. Entire books where it seems to be this cry out to God at what seems to be the unjust persecution of the righteous. That comes against them. Even Jesus on the cross. He was perfect in every way. Never sinned. And he became sin for us on the cross. Completely unblemished. And he became the lamb on the cross. And then whatever happens when the father looks away and turns back. Jesus cries out. Why? Why? I'm your son. I did everything right. Why would you turn away from me? The midst of those. Let me explain it to you like this. If you're a follower of Christ. If you're a believer, at some point, you've had a story like this. At some point, your story has gone like this, where you were hurting, or you, every life was fine, whatever it was, you were going along in your life, and you had a moment where you realized that you were doing life apart from Christ. You realized you were far from God. And so, so you realized that, I don't know what it was, maybe you were invited to church, or maybe you heard a song, and the Lord pulled at your heart, or maybe someone witnessed to you at your business, or a friend, or a neighbor, whatever it was, and you realized that you needed to be saved, and you cried out to Jesus, and you experienced His forgiveness, and His grace, and His mercy, and His power to change your life, and you were changed, and it was amazing. And God began to change your life, and it was like, oh, now you're on the mountaintop, and everything seems different. Right? You go to church and every sermon is directly for you. Come on, somebody. Every sermon is just incredible. And God is speaking directly to you. And you get in your car and write that favorite song that you had is playing on the radio when you turn it on. It's just amazing. You go to Krispy Kreme and they let you cut at the front of the line. Come on, somebody. It's a miracle of God that God's working in your life. You pray and God gives you the answer right away. And he does more and praise God and things are happening. And you're on that mountaintop. And then life begins to happen. And life happens and some things happen that aren't so good. And you go to church and the sermon was, meh. Come on, somebody. You're supposed to say, no way there. Come on. You're but it was, it was good, but it was for somebody else. It was for somebody else. And you get in the car and you don't like the song that's playing on the radio. And you're waiting on Plank Road for five hours to get to the Krispy Kreme. Come on. And you just can't find those. And you pray a prayer and not only does it not happen, but the opposite happens. So what do you do in moments like that? Because you were here. You were on the mountain. But now it feels like. You're going back to here. It feels like you're starting to walk back here. You, bad things start to happen. Your daughter gets sick and she doesn't get better. You begin to pray a prayer for your father and he dies. Your husband, the Christian, betrays you. The person you looked up to does something wrong or they fall or they mess up. 
The doctor gives you a diagnosis that you didn't deserve. Whatever it is, it happens to all of us. At some point, many of us experience what's called a crisis of belief. We begin to ask God, are you really there? Are you really still watching? Life begins to happen. Am I I right? I don't know if you're involved, God. Do you even still care? And at this point, most people think that you have one of two options. That after you've been up here and suddenly you find yourself down here, they think you have one or two options. Unfortunately, the first group says, well, you just have to deny what's happening. That you just have to begin to deny that anything has happened. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. They say you just deny everything. The other group of people say, well, you know what? If I was up here and now I'm down here, then maybe maybe God has forgotten about me. Or maybe God doesn't even exist. So I'm going to walk away. And they reject And they say, I tried all of that stuff and it was great for a little while. And I tried all those things and I tried church and the Bible and I tried all of that. But now I'm down here and so I'm going to walk away. And most people think there's only those two options. But there's a third option and that is in the midst of the pain to wrestle. To embrace who God is and who we know him to be, but to wrestle. And when you find yourself up here and then you see yourself down here, you begin to say, I don't get it. I'm confused. But the best thing you can do is to continue to embrace, but then to wrestle through the midst of it. And does life get instantly better when you begin to do that? No, oftentimes it doesn't. This isn't a sitcom sermon. Oftentimes it gets worse. Oftentimes something else happens. And when that happens, what do you do? Because oftentimes it begins to happen like it says in James in his first chapter. It says, consider it joy, brothers and sisters, when you walk through trials of many kinds. Because it has to work out in your life. Persevere in this because that works out perseverance in your life. And then let perseverance finish its work. Watch this. So you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The way to true intimacy with God is not to live on the mountaintop. It's to get to know his faithfulness in the valley. The way to true intimacy with God is not to try to stake your claim up here and say, just deny it ever happened down here. And true intimacy is not to reject and to walk away. It's to wrestle and to know his faithfulness in the valley. Because the Bible says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And as you begin to walk that path, you were here, but now you're here. But you begin to walk that path and to embrace and to wrestle. And you find that the next area where you're, you're closest to God and your, your ability to, to trust in him and your ability to stand with him is more than it ever was. But it didn't come because you stayed on the mountain. It came because he was faithful in the valley. And if you're in a new place, if your faith is stronger than it ever was before. It's not because you gave up in the valley. It's because God was faithful. All of us have walked through or will walk through that time. There's someone here today and you're in that moment. You're in that crisis of belief and all of us have been there. And God is saying we need to embrace and we need to wrestle. This is Habakkuk. God doesn't seem fair to him. He's saying, I don't understand. Guess what God does? God responds to him. This is where it gets a little bit exciting in the book of Habakkuk. The God responds. Are you ready for God's response? But I just want to remind you, this is not a sitcom sermon. Habakkuk is saying, God, I don't understand. You don't seem fair. This is what God says. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told, finally, God, finally, you're going to do what I think is right. 
You're finally going to do it, Lord. You're going to relieve the pain, God. We're going to be prosperous, God. We're going to be blessed. We're going to be utterly amazed, God. God, you're going to do something that we wouldn't even believe if we heard it. If you told me, oh, Lord, I I wouldn't even believe if I were told, but this is not a sitcom sermon. God says, you ready for this? I'm going to intervene. It's going to be amazing. You're not going to believe it if somebody told you you wouldn't believe it. Then God says, I'm going to use the Babylonians. Now, if you're not keeping score in the Old Testament, the Babylonians are the bad guys. All right, everybody, these are not the good guys. The Babylonians are the enemies. The Babylonians are the ones who are hated. God is saying, look at the nations. Be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something that you won't even believe. And he says, you ready for this? I'm going to use the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're a feared and dreaded people, a law to themselves and promote their own honor. They come intent on violence. Their hordes advance and gather prisoners like sand. God says, you think it's bad now, Habakkuk? It's about to get worse. And I'm going to use your enemies to bring justice. And this makes absolutely no sense to Habakkuk. This makes no sense to him. What do you do when you find yourself there? What do you do when you find yourself there? What does a believer do? And here's what I want you to see. A believer can both wrestle with questions and still embrace God at the same time. I think too often we don't allow ourselves to wrestle with any questions. We're in that group that denies. But a true believer can wrestle with questions and embrace a genuine faith in God at the same time. You can do it at the same time. I want you to watch as Habakkuk does it after this revelation. I want you to hear his words. I want you to feel it as you're listening to a real person cry out to God as he begins to wrestle and to embrace. He says it in verse 12. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? I'm embracing. I believe who you are, my God, my Holy One. You will never die. I'm embracing. But you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. I'm wrestling. You are my rock. I'm, I'm embracing. You ordained them to punish. I'm wrestling. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. I'm embracing. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. I'm embracing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? I'm wrestling. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I'm wrestling. I'm trying to embrace, but I'm wrestling. Listen, if you're there right now, I want you to know God understands your pain and God is with you in the midst of the pain. And God can answer your questions. He can handle it. And he wants you to come to him with that instead of walking away. Too many people, they feel like, well, if I can't deny it, then I'm just going to walk away. And they forget that you can go to God with your pain. That you can go to him in the midst of it and admit to him, I'm trying to embrace who I know that you are, but I'm wrestling. I'm wrestling in the midst of it. In the book of Daniel, three of the most famous men in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you probably know their story and you probably know the end of their story, but you kind of skip over the middle sometime. And they're standing before the king of the land who set up an idol and told everyone you have to bow down to it. If you don't bow down to the idol I've set up in the plains, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And they answer King Nebuchadnezzar and they answer him this way. Watch this. They say, oh, king, we don't have to answer you in this matter, but we will. We will give you an answer, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Our God, who we serve. Watch this. Our God, who we serve, he is able to deliver us from it. He is able to deliver us from it. And watch this faith. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. The faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's able to do it, oh God, and he will do it. He will deliver us, oh God. But even if he does not, 
We want you to know, your majesty, we're not going to serve your gods or bow down to your idol. Even if he does not. And it seems almost a contradiction to the faith that came the verse before. He can do it, he's able to do it, and he will do it, O king. But even if he does not. It's the faith to speak that he can and he will. But then this other part, this third part, that even if he does not, I think we're getting a view of what faith actually is because there's a faith that says he can do it. And there's a faith that says he will do it. But there's something else that says that even if he doesn't, even if heaven is silent and no answer comes, I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to serve him. And the word for that, what that is, the word for that we find in Job. Chapter 13, we've read the book of Job this entire month in our Bible reading. and We talked about him last week. After all the calamities that come upon Job, in chapter 13, he says, Though he kills me, though he kills me, yet I will hope in him. How hope in him. It's hope. Like Habakkuk, Job is saying, I don't understand it. I have no words for it. I've cried out and no answer has come from heaven. I've cried out and I don't understand why it's happening. I don't know why my world is being torn apart. But even if I don't have an answer, even if it's in the finality of death, I'll still hope in him. I'll hope in my God. The author of Hebrews, who wrote our theme verse in there in chapter 2, he likens it to boats, our lives to ships in the night and passing. And he uses that analogy throughout the book. And in Hebrews chapter 6, in our theme verse, we're tossed in uncertain seas that, that things of life come against us, that the storms of life. But watch this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. This hope that Job talked about. But even more than that, we have a greater hope, the anchor for the soul. The Bible says, because of this hope that goes behind the veil. That goes into the temple for us, that is our righteousness. Because faith can speak to the waves. And faith can calm the raging seas, but if it does not, hope is the anchor that endures the storm. If it does not, hope is the trust that God is true, no matter if we can see his hand or not. Because faith knows the word of God and faith speaks the word of God. But hope knows the heart of God. Hope knows his heart, that his plans for us are good. Because here's what I know, even in the midst, even when we're stuck in Habakkuk chapter 1. Even when we feel stuck in that moment of trying to embrace, but trying to wrestle. Here's what I know, and I know that God is still good. That God is still good. When we are weak, he is strong. When we're life brings turmoil, he brings peace. God is still good, and I know that God is still faithful. I know that he's still faithful because 600 years after Habakkuk cried out. After Habakkuk cries out, God, I can't see it. And God, why have we been chosen to walk through this? And God, why is Judah and Israel being chosen as your people to do this and to go there and do that? 600 years later, the city of Bethlehem in the land of Judah, a savior was born. And the Redeemer of all mankind was born. Too often we read our Bibles kind of haphazardly and we miss the story that God is unfolding. We jump in here and then we jump in there and we, we miss the story that he's writing. That Jesus the Savior would redeem and save mankind. That he's coming into the world. You can't see it now Habakkuk, but he's coming. You can't see it unfold, but God has a plan and it's happening Habakkuk. You can't see it right now. But God is still faithful. 
But for some of us, we're still stuck in chapter one. And I'll warn you, chapter two is not all that better. You ready for the neat and tidy ending to the sermon? There isn't one. It's not a sitcom sermon. But don't walk away from God in chapter one. Don't walk away from God in chapter one. Would you bow your heads with me today as we pray? Father, I pray for those today who find themselves in chapter one. God, I pray that they would have the courage to have the permission, God, to go with you in the midst of pain. To cry out to you in the midst of questioning. To go to you with what they're struggling with. And I just have a heart today to pray over you. If you're here, you're watching online. But if you're here, I just have a heart to pray over you if you're struggling. If you're struggling to embrace. But you're wrestling. And if you say, that's me. Today, if you say, that's me. I'm struggling. I I want to embrace, but I'm wrestling. I just want to pray over you. If that's you, if you say, Ben, pray for me. Would you just slip up your hand right now? Nobody's looking around. But you say, pray for me. I'm wrestling. I just have a heart to pray. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to pray over you right now. Church, let's begin to pray over each other. Begin to lift up your prayers. God, we pray for those who are struggling. Who are wrestling, but they're embracing. Give us the strength, God. Give us your peace. Let us know your character and believe that you are good. God, that we would know your nature. We know that you are good even when life does not seem good. Even when life is not. God, I pray for those. Pray for those, Lord, who are in that place, in that valley, God, and they've, they felt that, that tug to walk away from you. I pray that they wouldn't walk away. Give them the strength, God. Give them the strength to wrestle and to embrace. And there are some of you here today. Some of you, you know in your life you're struggling with things or you're at a new low and you found yourself where it is, but you know that you're far from God. Know that you're far from God. There are things that have come against you that you cannot bear. Some people will say that God will never give you more than you can bear. That's a misinterpretation of the verse. There are some things that you cannot bear that only he can. But you found yourself here today and it's not by accident. You're watching online. It's not by accident that you clicked on that or that you're listening. It's not by accident that you're hearing this, but you know you're far from God and you want to give your life to Jesus. And you feel like the weight of life is too much for you to bear. That's what's so incredible about the gospel, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that Jesus Christ came into the world, that he lived a life that was perfect and that he died on the cross for you and for me, that anyone can be saved. He was raised from the dead, that anyone can call on the name of Jesus. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care what's happened. Anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That he can save you. And so today, if you say, I need that, I want to turn my life over to him, I just want to pray with you. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I want to connect you with Jesus. And so if that's you today, you say, I want to pray that prayer. I can give you the words, but you need to mean them in your heart. So come on, church, we're going to pray with those who want to pray that. No one prays alone. We're going to pray that right now. Just say, dear Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. 
for all my mistakes. I accept what you did on the cross. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, help us today. Help us, Lord, to embrace and to wrestle. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. To fix our eyes on you, the anchor to our souls, to put our hope and our trust in you. Help us, Lord, in the midst of trial, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of pain, to fix our eyes on you. To say that you are our God and that we will trust in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said, Amen. And amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for what God has done today?